www.ontheroad.org. This is a public service announcement of 90.1 FM KKFI. The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Jaws of Justice Radio strives to investigate how to achieve justice in America, and this includes issues of economic injustice, political injustice, and the criminal justice system. We want to put a human face on those caught in the grasp of injustice in an unjust system. We strive to dispel the misconceptions created by the news and entertainment industry, politicians, and our educational system. Today, host Macy Jones will speak with Phoebe Haynes. At the age of 15, Phoebe was convicted of a crime for which he did 30 years in prison. Before that, his first 15 years of life was full of abuse, trauma, and pain. While in prison, Phoebe took every class that could help him be a better man and not afraid to look at his reflection in the mirror. Today, he's a representative of what he believes in, and that's called street life. Street Life is a foundation that stands for empathy, compassion, and a fresh start at life. Street Life believes there isn't one of us who hasn't experienced some type of abuse and neglect in our lives. Street Life is going to be the voice for those that can't be the voice for themselves. Prison taught Phoebe Haynes a lot about himself and life, and now he's using his pain, his past, and his hunger to teach and help those who are willing to be helped. It was once said... The degree of civilization in the society can be judged by entering its prisons. The way we have worked prisons, the poorer you were, the more likely you were to end up in jail, and not just because the poor commit more crimes. The rich do not have to commit crimes to get what they want, but when the rich do commit crimes, they often are not prosecuted, and if they are, they get out on bail, hire clever lawyers, get better treatment from judges. Somehow the jails ended up full of poor black people. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Good morning. I'd like to thank you, Phoebe Hayes, for being here with me this morning, along with Brother Mikhail Shabazz and Miss Terry. You too, feel free to jump in if you have any questions for Mr. Haynes. So, Phoebe, mm -hmm. to start off, you say you was 15 years old when you got incarcerated. Mm -hmm. So, during your incarceration, what was it that brought about the change in your mindset? Um, actually, it was my first parole hearing, to be honest with you. Uh, one of my victims came to my parole hearing and uh, she looked at me and she forgave me. And that broke a barrier within me because for years I carried around guilt and hatred, not just for myself, but for everybody that did something to me. And, the, you know, the crash and reverse thing of that is that 
I didn't have no animosity towards my victims. I had animosity towards those that was in my family and in my life that I felt like abandoned me and turned their back on me, you feel me? Because as a kid, you don't have the ability to express and say those things that, you know, you can't tell nobody else. Because as a kid, you're taught to be quiet, not to say nothing, you know what I'm saying? But when something tragic happens to you, you have to be able to speak. You have to be able to have a voice to say, hey, this happened to me. And I didn't have that voice. So for me, I turned everything internal. And I took all my pain and my grief and my hatred and, my, and, and, and just my hate for myself and what I was dealing with and not knowing how to out on everybody around me. So it was pretty much you internalized everything that took place in your young life. And in the process of doing that, you brought it out in a negative way instead mm -hmm. of a positive way because you didn't know how or had the education on how to properly deal. I mean, if you look at prison today, man, and I'm just, you know, just say after my, in my 30 years, majority of the individuals in prison are young black men that aren't educated and they have faced some form of abuse, whether it's neglect, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. There's all forms of abuse that we all deal with. And if you are uneducated and you don't have the words or the, or, or, or the education to say, hey, I'm dealing with being sexually abused or I'm dealing with being uh, emotionally abused, you know what you do with that? In, t in turn, you stuff it. And when you stuff it, you know what it becomes? It becomes a ball of rage. You are a ticking time bomb for anything that comes your way that displaces you and allows you to exercise your demons. That's what being emotional, uh, physical, and mental repressed does to you. It allows you to hurt someone that you don't even want to hurt. On the simple fact, this is because you're hurting. You know, one the, when I was in prison, man, I took a one of the first classes that I took in prison was called ICVC, Impact of Victims on Crime. And in that class, it's a twelve packet program. And Every single packet, man, my first time I took that class, I seen myself. I seen the destruction that I'd done. I seen the people that I hurt. And it wasn't intentionally by me. My daughter, she was a baby when I left. I didn't mean to leave my child. But I didn't have the mental capacity to understand what my responsibility was as a 15-year-old kid. Because I was full of dope. I was full of a PCP and cocaine, man. That's how I survived and dealt with my pain. So if, if we're not educated about speaking and, and speaking of those things in which we feel to exercise our demons, then we're going to fall to this system that's generated to straight put you in prison. There is no get help here along the way, get help here. Where it's, man, don't pass, go, go directly to jail. You know, so you you spoke of uh, using substances mm -hmm. as a means of being able to deal with the the pain and suffering that you was going through, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that that are listening to this uh, show at this moment that uh, have some connection with your reality. Mm 
However, doing that while you was incarcerated, what was it that made you turn around and say, hey, look, I know you already spoke about your shame and your regret for what you've done. But that's what it but, was. But what was it that made you turn around and say, hey, look, I'm going to change from the man that I was and become a better man? You know, I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the woman that I wanted forgiveness so long for. And I had to ask my question. How can I want forgiveness if I'm not willing, if I'm not willing to forgive? To so all those that violated me, that hurted me, that you know shamed me and put me down, I didn't want to forgive them. I wanted to hold on to that hatred, that anger. I wanted to hold on to it and harness it because I felt like that's what gave me life. That's what made me vibrant. That's what made me go. But at the same time, I wanted to be forgiven. So in other words. In order for me to receive forgiveness, I had to be willing to forgive. So I sat down in my room, in my cell, man, and I cried, bro. I came in from a call out from a, a class, and I'll never forget, we was looking at, um, uh, we was looking at uh, uh, child abuse. And in the chapter of child abuse, I just seen myself everywhere, bro. You know, my father was murdered when I was eight years old. So when my father got killed, my family literally imploded. It was like my sisters went their way. You know, my mother, she went her. Everybody tried to find a way to deal with that pain. But when you're not taught and you don't have that education, you don't know. So for me, I used that moment, that one moment when I was given forgiveness and I said, if she can forgive me, then I can forgive those. And that's what I did, man. I sat down. And I knew I couldn't actually reach out to him, so I wrote letters, like I was telling you before. I wrote letters and I said everything that I needed to say to that one individual, to each person in that letter, to be able to get that poison out of me. And once I was able to get that poison out of me, I was able to say, okay, the only way that I can do better is I gotta receive something that I never had before. So I didn't have no man in my life to guide me and tell me, this is how you grow up to become a man. I had fools in the street that would put a gun in my hand and tell me, you my little homie, go rob this store over here or go rob this fool or go take this dope from this fool over here. See, that's not being a friend. Somebody that's a friend is going to tell you, man, put that gun down. Go to school. There's nothing out here in these streets, man, nothing. Everything out in these streets leads to one place, and I just did 30 years there. Because if you ain't going there, you're going six feet deep. So I heard you mention again about the 30 years you've done uh, doing that cap doing that captivity. Uh, what what was the labor situation for you? <laughs> hey, you know, when I first came to prison, I was a hothead. I wasn't trying to work. You know, I didn't even know what that was on the streets. But I quickly learned in prison, you was made to work or you was punished. It was simple. Either you go to work or you go to the hole. Man, I don't want to work in the kitchen. I ain't trying to work down there. You ain't got no. I remember one time they popped my door, called me to the uh, bubble. It was like, Haynes, you need to go to food service. I said, man, I don't work in food service. 
He said, well, they want you. I went up to food, so I was like, what y'all want? They said, well, we want you on the line. I said, man, I don't work. I'm not working in the kitchen. They said, you got a choice. Either go to either work in here or go to the hole. Me being me at that time, I went to the hole. Sat in the hole for 45 days because I refused to work in food service. I refused to serve trays on the line. I was rolled up and I was locked up. When I went to get up to get, to get out the hole, you know what they asked me? You gonna work in the kitchen now? I said, no. They said, well, we gonna give you 30 more days to think about it. I said, man, me being a high head that I was, I said, you can give me six months, I don't care. I ain't, I ain't working in your kitchen. They said, the only way you're going to get out of this hole is you're going to have to get a job. I was like, is you serious, man? You're going to make me work? Is you going to pay me? They said, you're going to get what everybody else gets, $8.50. Listen, man, I'm, I've been out here, you know, I don't know nothing about society, right? But I'm learning as I've come home. And there's jobs everywhere. Minimum wage is, what, $12.50? You get $8.50 a month in prison, bro. And if you tell them people no, I've seen dudes get beat. I've seen dudes get locked up for no reason just because you won't do the job that they want you to do. Prison is geared around individuals coming in so they can put you to work. It's mandated when you come in prison now. You have to have a job. You have to have a job. And if there's none available, you placed on a waiting list. You play no, 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 you ain't placed on a waiting list. They give you a wing job. They gonna make you work. They gonna get something out of you besides just you sit. The only way you sitting in your cell twiddling your thumbs is you in the hole. And then even in the hole, they'll come down and knock on your door. Hey, you wanna clean these showers? Hey, you wanna clean this wing? Hey, you wanna feed? And do you wanna know why it's like that? Because the people that works in prison, and I don't mean, and I mean the guards, caseworkers, there is no empathy in prison. All they, everyone is looked at as one way in prison. You're not looked at as being a decent individual. You're not looked at as being a man that made a mistake. You're looked at as a number. You are a convicted felon in their eyes. They don't care nothing else about you. You are a number. When they come to your door, they don't say, what's your name? They say, name and number. You say, Haynes, I don't need your name. What's your number? Oh, 512062. He there. See, you are, you are belittled to something that you are not. You wasn't brought into this world to be a, 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 a rumor numeral. You was brought into this world as who your mother and father named you to be. My name is Feeb Leroy Haynes Jr. I am not 512062. I made that mistake and became that number for 30 years for them. Now I represent who I was born to be. Yeah, I like to say to Mikkel and Miss Terry, if y'all feel free, just jump right on in. You know, this this is a conversation with Mr. Feeb Hayes. So, so Feeb, mm -hmm. uh, um, the high, what was the highest paying job for an individual in an uh, The highest paying job, you have to get to certain camps for that. Okay, I mean, prime example. Um, say you're a lower level inmate. You can go to places like, used to be Mobley and Farmington, if you, re, if you meet the requirements and you can get on laundry. And laundry, that laundry is for like hospitals that they do contracts with at those different locations. Now, 
take Farmington for instance. They had a laundry and they they um, they shut it down due to mold in the building. Well, <laughs> here is how the prison works. They condemned that building, right? But because they were so needy for financial gain, they reopened the building and just shut off like part of it. The building holds like 230 some people, odd people, but they shut off part of it, filled people up so they can go to work because they got their contracts back. So now they need people to work it. In that job, you probably make mm, 250 a month. The other place you can make the most money is in the New Jefferson City. And you can go work where they call IBM or the uh, where they run all the computers. You make $250 beyond lead, man, pay one. Other than that, you get $225. I had a, a celly of mine. Uh, he's free now. God bless him. Uh, Johnny Irons, J.I. J.I. was, he was my celly. We was in a dog program together. And J.I. worked at the, uh, the, uh, 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 Reading computer stuff. Jay, I made two twenty five. He was able to take care of himself and do a little bit. But here's the thing about that is you have to be a certain individual. You have to meet certain qualifications to get those types of jobs. Prime example. Take take Mikhail for instance. If Mikhail wasn't really trying to get no job or he didn't have no interest or knowledge about that type of thing, they ain't even going to approach him. He can try. He can go up and put the application in. You know what they're going to tell him? You don't qualify for this. Well, how does he qualify and I don't? He got the same thing I got, a prison number. Didn't nobody come to prison at 15, 16, 17-year-olds with no college education. I'm sorry. Everything that you are taught and learned to do in prison, you learn to do in prison. So you got those that's, that wants to work those type of jobs because, yeah, they got their benefits. For those that ain't got no, say you ain't got no financial income from home. This is the only thing that can support you to help you do the things that you need to do. I know some, I know one guy, he put himself, got himself a lawyer with, with his job. You know what I'm saying? But I mean... That's only those types of jobs. You got the industry where it's sad to say that everyone out here in Missouri or anywhere else, the license plates that you have on your car, guess what? We made them. The clothes that the correction officers wear at Crossroads Correctional Center, guess what? We made them. The state boots that the inmates wear on their feet, guess what? We made them. I helped open Crossroads up from Jefferson City. I sat in the clothing factory, and I sold so many pairs of grays, shirts, pants. Then I got put in the room to make the guard shirts. I was like, man. And I mean, here's the thing. They pay you on two pay, $86.37. That's what I was making a month. But I would be at work on Saturdays. From 5 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the evening, sewing with one break. So what did that measure out to as far as an hour? What was the pay an hour? 15, 35 cents an hour? No, no, no. The pay comes out to be like 
11 cents an hour, if that. Because you got to think about it. You go to work in the industry. I'm going to give you the numbers like this and, and let you put your own mind to it. You go to work in industry at 6 o'clock in the morning. You don't get out of work till 3.30. So you're putting in a full eight hours a day. And if, I'm, if I only make $8.50 a month, what am I working for? I work, I work a full 80 hour, I work a full 40 hour week every week. And sometimes for real in prison, it is not, it's, it's more than that. So what am I making? I'm making cents on a dollar, man. I'm making, not, that's not even slave wages, man. You know, I uh, worked at the tag plant. And when I worked at the tag plant, they paid us 25 cents an hour. Uh, the most you can, let me see, the lead man made $100. The assistant lead man made, assistant lead man made 80 bucks. The average dude made about 50 bucks a month. You know what I'm saying? But they start you out with 30, so you got to work, you start at 30. And the only way you move up is the dude above you leave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like we in the walls and, and people trans custody drop, so mm -hmm. you have an opportunity for people to go home. Mm -hmm. But if you get a dude in that spot with a life without, life without parole or something like that, the, the spot never moves. So you stuck it wherever you is. So if the guy stuck at $100 not going home, the guy stuck at 80 bucks is not going home, which is assistant lead, man. The next spot is 50 bucks. You dig what I'm saying? Now until that dude with 50 bucks go home, you make $30 a month. Now if you work down there a year, whatever, that's all you make. Now, so, go ahead. in the year uh, I was there, they did the thing and said that they got $155 million on the tags that they made. They got 87 dudes working at the tag plant. What you have to really understand is that these jobs that we talk about in industry, are, it's not like 100 people work there. It's like so many jobs and however many people fit that job. And then the rest of the prison, the policy says that every inmate has a job, literally has a job. But a lot of times the jobs are just on paper. You know what I'm saying? Because they have too many inmates and too few jobs. Let me give you some. Let me give you a number real quick, and I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put this in your head just so you can understand the plight of a young man in prison working. You can work for a year out here in society, and you can make what twenty thousand dollars. You know what an inmate makes in prison for a year? Making eight fifty a month, one hundred and two dollars a year. But here's the point that you, I think you don't really express that uh, he's making $102 a year, $8.50 a month, All right? But when you take into consideration the price changes. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> the toothpaste costs you $2, $3. The no, toothpaste costs uh, $3.38 when I left. Lotion. $4. Deodorant. Toothpaste. Uh, toothbrush. Hagrid brush. Mm. Comb. Just the basics. Run you about $15, $20 a month. You don't even have the finances to take care of yourself. So um, all the things that are that are dispensed out in prison, like um, toiletries and things of this nature, now you have to pay for that? You have to pay for it. Even toilet paper. They give you an issue. They give you an issue of... Two rolls a week for you and your cellmate. After that, a roll of toilet paper costs you sixty. It was sixty-eight cent. Now it's a dollar eight. 
See what I'm saying? And this is what we make the toilet paper in prison. Crossroads has a toilet paper factory that spreads toilet paper throughout the DOC. So therefore, why are you selling me something that I make? You well, cannot survive in on, prison. On paper, they say that uh, each prison pays for their own toilet paper, even though the inmates are making it at another institution. See what I'm saying? So the exploitation of, of prisoners while incarcerated is in high demand because whatever you get, whatever you make financially, you're giving back to them. Listen, let me explain something to you. We are... We'll be back with Mr. Phoebe Haynes, Mikhail, and Terry in just a moment. Support for KKFI comes from the Johnson County Museum, featuring special exhibit, trains, transportation, and the transformation of Johnson County, now through January 13th. This exhibit showcases the impact of railroads on the county's landscape, people, and economy. Through interactive displays, artifacts, and visuals, visitors are transported back in time to witness the changes that rail transportation brought to Johnson County. For more information, visit jocomuseum.org. Hi, this is Maria Hall, co-host of Law & Disorder. Thank you for joining us on Tuesday mornings, 9 a.m. here on KKFI 90.1 FM in beautiful Kansas City, Missouri. We're now moving to Monday, 7 p.m. as of January 2024. That's Monday, 7 p.m. Law & Disorder will be now broadcasting Monday evening, 7 p.m. So keep it locked in right here to KKFI 90.1 FM. The future is here. Put your smart speaker to good use by saying, play KKFI. That's all you have to do to get the news, views, and music you love. KKFI, wherever you are. Now the calendar for the week of January 8th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. If you're interested, you can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Please check the calendar at moresquare.org for events you can attend. A list of services, meals, and hotlines are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. Thursday, January 11th, 10 a.m., Empower Missouri's Community Justice Coalition has a virtual meeting on Zoom. Community Justice Coalition is a multi-sector team of dedicated advocates who envision a future without mass incarceration. Get sign-up info at empowermissouri.org. Thursday, January 11th, 5.30 p.m., Martin Luther King Day at the Lawrence Public Library Auditorium, 707 Vermont, Lawrence, Kansas. The library is honored to host Chief Executive Officer of the Black Archives of Mid-America in Kansas City, Missouri, Carmeletta M. Williams, 
and archivist Laura Darnell to give a presentation on the history of the archives and lead us in a discussion of their collections and work they do in our communities. Thursday, January 11th, 6 p.m., Corey's Network Grief to Relief Seminar is at Maddie Road Center, 148 North Topping, Kansas City, Missouri. Social workers from Kansas City Police Department will explain their job and services available to you following a homicide. Friday, January 12th at noon, Empower Missouri's January Friday Forum is on how to provide powerful testimony. This is a virtual event. There are many important skills that advocates work to develop and master to increase their effectiveness. Register for this at empowermissouri.org. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show. Yes, thank you once again to Phoebe Hayes for being here with me this morning. I also like to extend to Mikkel and Miss Terry to feel free to ask Mr. Haynes any questions or to comment as you see fit. So before our, before our break, we was talking about when you make the money that you make on the job while incarcerated, having to give that money, the state was getting that money back. Is that correct? I mean, it's simple. You cannot survive in prison without it because when I first came to prison, they gave you a care package. That's a, a toothpaste, uh, a little deodorant, a little bar of soap, and a toothbrush. And, they, and if you was indigent, you would get a, you know one of those packs a month. Now, you don't get nothing. If you ain't got no toothpaste, guess what? And you ain't got no money to buy none, you just ain't got no toothpaste. Now, brothers like Mikhail, you know, brother named Mufid, um, it's brothers in the joint, man, that set a standard that I used to watch from afar. And Mikhail's you know, he came up under my collar when I was a kid in prison. And uh, one of the reasons that I'm here today is because of my respect and my love for him. You feel me? Um, he was one of the men that taught me and helped raise me. Another man I give a lot of credit to is Mr. Washington. He's dead now. He's passed. But those two men had a profound effect on me becoming the man that I am today. But man, prison is, it was called a correctional institution. It used to be straight out reform. I'm gonna tell y'all what prison really is. Prison is nothing but a human warehouse where a person goes to die and you are looked at as an animal. The guards are taught that we are not human, that we are animals, that we are less than. And I promise you, I felt that every day that I stood behind a door or a bar and someone came and looked at me and would have me turn around and do this or do that all in the name of because they can. And here's the other part about 
prison finances. Once you are a convicted felon and you go to prison, the law stated that you were sojourned from the state. That means you have lost your ability to vote, taxes, tax, all this. Then please tell me why. Right now, today, we pay state and federal taxes in prison. You pay you pay taxes on on non-perishables the same way they pay out here, and you pay taxes on perishables in the canteen. But those men in prison, they don't. Get, you can't file a W two. You don't get a tax return. You can't vote. So why are they paying taxes? Where is that money going to? Because out here, when you pay your taxes, you file your tax return. Guess what? You'll get a little bit. You get a benefit back. You get something back that can you can do something with. You don't got that. You don't. You don't have that right or privilege in prison. So therefore, why are they paying taxes? Why are they paying state and federal taxes? Where is that money going? So what about the uh, men and and women? Because there are women locked up mm-hmm. in the state of Missouri, too. Why? Uh, how are they dealing with the child support aspects of things, being able to take care of their families while incarcerated? Well, here's the thing. A man or a woman that has a child, if you are a man that wants to be a father to your child, then you're going to find a way to get a job, to help send money home, do whatever you need to do. But unfortunately, for those that don't have that, it don't matter. Because if they want their money, I don't care. if Guess what? If you get eight fifty a month and you owe child support, they'll leave you everything but five. They'll take everything but five dollars. If your family send you money, they're going to take everything but $5. It doesn't matter. They're going to get their money. So what? So what does it? where does that leave the man or the woman that's incarcerated to be able to survive they can't. and get the necessities that they need? No. You are forced to hustle, steal. I mean, I'm just going to keep it real with you, man. When you don't have the financial means to survive in prison, you might as well just be like one of these homeless men or women out here on the streets. Yeah, but at the same time, you have to realize that we you have to realize that you create predators. Mm-hmm. You think the people in prison are in prison for taking something from somebody. You know what I'm saying? So once it, you get there and you got five dollars, you need fifteen dollars to get cosmetics. That means you got to get them somewhere else. It you puts you in a predatory a state of mind, man. You know, you have to steal out the kitchen to get you some money. You know, send to sell food that you stole from the kitchen. You have to work in an industry and maybe make knives and sell knives on the yard. You start a store and you sell food for two for three. You know what I'm saying? All to those hustle on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you taking something from somebody. You didn't saying you make them pay to be on the yard. You didn't want saying. In other words, if you don't extortion. Yes. That's you see. That's what you got to understand about prison, man. It's it's two things that's going to happen to a man or a woman in prison. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to find who you really are, you're going to find yourself, or you're going to lose the rest of yourself. And I mean that to say this, by the grace of God, he kept his hand on me through those 30 years. Because, brother, I can sit here and tell you I did X, Y, and Z. And I can tell you right now that I didn't make it through 30 years of misery, of pain, of just the most horrible visions that any man should ever never want to see. I didn't make it I didn't make it through that of my own volition. 
God carried me through that, man. But for those that want to do better, guess what? You're going to find your way. And the reason I say this is because, man, when you come to prison, you're proverbially at the bottom of the burrow. You are, you, you are a castaway, a scorn of the earth, regardless if you did it or you didn't do it. You're looked at it all the same. But you got a choice to make. Either you can stay in that proverbial mud and muck and be the label that is placed on you, or you can take your own destiny in your hand and find who you were meant to be. You can find that man or that woman who you were meant to be. And the way you do that is simple, man. You got to be willing to look at yourself in the mirror. But uh, I didn't send you to prison to do none of that. It don't you know, matter. So, so by me, you committed a crime. So by you committing that crime, then you owe me whatever it is that I feel you owe me. So yo, yo, I'm going to call it involuntary servitude. Mm -hmm. Hey, that's all a part of the process to me. Give me, give me that back. You, you locked up. My taxes are taking care of you while you locked up in there. You know, so whatever little bit you getting, dang, you ought to be happy for that and move on. At the same time, you got to realize that the prison was created to create an economy for poor communities. If you, they said it in the newspaper, the star, TV, everything. They said the poorest counties in the state of Missouri, they built prisons in to create an economy for those counties. Now these counties that they put them in, Everybody's married to everybody. Everybody knows everybody. You understand what I'm saying? So when you have that, you have tribalism because I'm not going to get my and sister fired. I'm not going to get my brother fired. I'm not going to get nobody in my family fired. And then DOC has rules that they're not supposed to work in the same zones, the same areas. They be in the house together working. You know what I'm saying? So the rules and the enforcements of the rules that are supposed to be there to protect us, to aid and assist us, you know what I'm saying? The guards don't even follow them. And then at the same time, they'll victimize you to protect one of their own. That's an everyday occurrence. But, you know, I find it funny that you just said what you said because, yeah, it's your tax. It's your, it's your money that pays for individuals in prison because you got to understand, taxpayers pay. I remember at one point in time it was like $726 or something right there per day for an inmate. That's taxpayer money. If taxpayers really want to see where their money is, they're not going to find it in prison because guess what? Missouri is a prison. There is so many prisons in this state. It doesn't make any sense. And he's correct. These prisons were built up to bring about job, economy, and money. If you look at every place that a prison is, before it was there, look at the economy. Look at that neighborhood. It was nothing. It was poor. There was nothing there. And now they're building a city around it. And now when they build a prison, they build a city around it. So now you got finances coming in. Ain't none of that finances coming, going into the prison. It's coming out of the prison. Off of our backs. Yeah. It's sad when I tip, my hat to, I tip my hat to President Bush years ago when he was in office. You know what he said? When they asked for some more money, matter of fact, it was Roy Blunt asked for some more money for Missouri prisons. He said, man, I'm not giving Missouri one more federal dime for prisons because Missouri is the only state that does not know how to let its inmates go. You got to understand something, man. As a man, 
I am responsible for the choices that I make. My happiness, my livelihood, my mental state, everything dealing with me is my responsibility. I'm accountable for. Not you, not Mikhail, not Miss Terry, me, Phoebe Leroy Haynes Jr. I am accountable for what I do and what I say. So therefore, if I am going to be my best me, then I'm going to get out of my own way. I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to learn about me. I'm going to know who I am, what triggers me, what makes me say no, what makes me go. And the problem is in prison, man, is that you get so caught up in the daily life of struggle, the daily life of survival, that if you're not careful, you will lose yourself. I lost myself for a minute, man. I, I, lost my, I lost all three of my uncles, two of my uncles and my mama's brothers. I lost 60 days apart. It was like I was getting phone call after phone call. When they called me and told me my nephew, my nephew Mark, my sister's only son, got killed. That was one of my most horrific days in prison because my nephew, he wasn't just my nephew. He was like a, a son to me, man. We would talk on the phone, and he would say, hey, Unc, I can't wait for you to come home so we can play ball and all this stuff, you know. Or I would talk to my daughter, man, and my daughter used to always say, Daddy, when you coming home? And I, at that time, I, I wasn't coming home. At that time, I was going to die in prison. And so my mind state was, I don't care. It didn't matter if I lived or died because this is the environment which y'all got me. Y'all don't care about me. I can tell you there's something wrong with me, and, there, and I, I know I need medical attention. And I tell you I need medical attention. You know what they tell you sometimes? Medical can't see you right now. They ain't got enough time. What you mean? My life is in danger. I am sick. I am in peril. I need someone to look after me. I can't do it myself. What? Excuse me, young man. When there, my lung collapsed. I went to the people that tipped me bubble and told me that my lung had collapsed. I mean, I told them I was sick. I don't know what's wrong. I couldn't breathe. So they called up the medical and told me it was an emergency, that they need to see me. So when I got to... They told me to, uh, they wouldn't come down to the housing unit that I had to walk to medical. It took me 20 minutes to walk to medical, which is about a block. Three minute block, three minute walk. Because every four or five steps I had to stop and catch my breath so I could breathe. So when I got to medical, they gave me some, uh, we call it my Thailand, the my. Ibuprofen. No, the pills, asthma pills, the breathing pills. Mm -hmm. You know, they give you, you know what I'm saying, like you got a cold or something, clear your sinuses up and stuff, and sent me back to the house. Dinner drill, huh? <laughs> so I got back to the house, and the next morning when they called me, I refused to do anything. Go ahead. And I made the, uh, the this CEO, I told him, I said, I'm not going nowhere. So the people had to come up there and see what was going on, why I wouldn't move, why I wouldn't co cooperate. So finally they called a, a medical emergency. When they called a medical emergency, medical refused to come get me, and one of the inmates put me in a wheelchair and rolled me up to the medical. When I got up to medical, they told me,
that they gave us a pill. To... Excuse me for a minute, Mikhail. We have a caller on the line. Caller, state your name and whatever your question or comment is. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. My name is George. I live in uh, north uh, of the River Kansas City. Uh, your uh, guests are just spot on with the truth about what's happening in our Missouri prisoners. Uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I had an opportunity through my Vietnam veteran work and veterans to work with inmates in prison. And, man, was it an eye-opener. Even with uh, the credibility of coming in as a veteran, a Vietnam veteran, and all that, it's, uh, and I, I, from the sounds of these gentlemen, it's just gotten worse. And uh, I, I applaud them for coming on and doing and, and speaking the truth in this program uh, is the truth. And so I just wanted to make that comment. And thank you very much, sir. No, thank you, George, for, for your support and for listening to the show. And you're right, you're right on about the veterans, you know, individuals that have served their comp country and then for some reason get make a mistake and end up in prison. I'm grateful that there are men such as yourself that go in and lend to them aid and assistance to make sure everything is okay for them. The well, thank of you very much. I, I wanted to add one thing. Uh, having worked with these veterans, I worked with a veteran in Arkansas uh, prison system, and uh, he was a combat veteran. I've come to the conclusion that combat veterans do not make good prison guards. But <laughs> nevertheless, he was there. He went through the training, and uh, he held his ground in prison. He wasn't a hard ass. He just said, hey, fellas, you know, you do your thing. I do my thing. I'm trained. You know, there's five in your room. I'm going to... If you attack me, I'm going to kill at least three of you. So which three want to die? <laughs> Things like that. And uh, he got fired. We got changed. The schedule got changed. We messed up with his life, and then he ended up quitting because they told him he was too soft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's there's that. Anyway, I'm going to let you go, brothers, and thank you for the show and, 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 and uh, keep the fight up. All right. Thank you, George. And you're so right. Those that are guards in the institutions that, so, that show some empathy, Towards Far and few uh, between. towards individuals incarcerated, they don't last long in in, in corrections. I'm gonna tell you. First of all, I want to say thank you, George, because it's is in my time in those 30 years I did in prison, man. I've seen a lot of men like you come in to try to help and aid a lot of those brothers that served our country. And suffice it to say, we all make mistakes. None of us are perfect, and for whatever reason, they end up in there. But for those that, that, that served our country and been in war and coming to prison, now they find themselves in another, another war. It may not be the physical war that they faced of ducking bullets, you know, of someone else trying to kill them. Now they, now they find themselves in a, in a war of, of mental. And that's what prison is. Prison is a mental and emotional war that if you don't prepare yourself, you will fail every time. Because I know a lot of brothers in, in that I sad to say that they, that that succumb to that mental disease and kill themselves. And you know, I was I was almost one of them. So I thank you, George, for your work of coming in and helping us. And then also on that note, you know, uh, when you come back from a combat situation, you know, where you're using M16s and getting shot at and things of this nature, you you learn you suffer from something known as PTSD. Mm -hmm. Now. When they take a man who's suffering from PTSD and put him in a, uh, in a and incarcerate him, he's not being able to apply 
the training and society that he was given while he was in the military. Then he's incarcerated with PTSD, and now you have an individual controlling you and they're not giving you the proper medical that you need to sustain <laughs> yourself. You have to understand Then there's a lot of other stuff that takes brother, place. Go I want ahead. you to understand something. Prison is geared. There is not one man or woman in prison that does not have PTSD. You spend 23 hours, 22 hours at, you know, at the least, even in general population, you spend at least 21 to 22 hours in your cell, locked down, if you're, if you're in a level five. You get two hours for rec. So that means for 22 hours a day, if you're, not, if you're, in, if you're in a two-man cell, say me and Mikhail Sellies, we live in a bathroom with a bunk bed, a toilet, a sink, and a desk. And for 22 hours, we have to, we have to use this space to, that we live in, we're confined in. All day, urinate, all urine, everything. defecate, eat, everything is right there. That type of environment, I have to know you, you get to know me. But, man, if you do not, and I mean this, I want you brothers to really understand when I say this. If you do not center yourself, if you do not find some peace within you, a lot of brothers in prison, man, they turn to Al-Islam, they turn to the nation, they turn to Muslims, they turn to whatever. They turn to what Christianity, they turn to wherever they can find that comfort because when you in prison, bro, you cannot, and I don't care who you is, you cannot do that by yourself. The uh, reality is, is that uh, prison is supposed to be about rehabilitation. In other words, they're supposed to be putting you in there to make you a better person than when you come out. But actually, prison is a war zone to the point that the guards, I was in Jeff City, they wrote an ad in the newspaper. They said it's the blacks against the white, the bloods against the Crips, and the Muslims against everybody. So basically, you're in a war zone. You know, you see people get killed every day. You get people get stabbed. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're in a war zone. You know, so the rehabilitation part, it's not there because well I tell you, I, I I have to I have to disagree disagree with you with that for the simple fact is I'm a brother that went to prison for multiple crimes and prison was not a rehabilitation center when I rent but I chose to rehabilitate myself see the programs check this out the programs that are in prison they are there and they are some very I'm gonna tell you something like I told you before Pathways of change, thinking for a dip, thinking for a change, uh, abuse against children, uh, domestic abuse. Now, speaking of those as well, they did so much for me in my personal life, in my growth, and made me take my mask off and find who I was meant to be and the man that I am. That through Street Life, our nonprofit organization, I'm going to take them same programs that we had in prison that made me a better man and made me stand up and be accountable for what I did and who I am. I want to bring that out here to society, to these streets, because there is so many of these kids out here, man, that need to hear what some of us heard. Granted, Mikkel is right. Prison is a war zone. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up about street life. 
you know, uh, an organization that you are part of and mm-hmm. what you plan to do. So if individuals wanted to get in contact with you concerning street life, uh, could you please at this moment give them your information, so or email address, a phone number, so they could reach out to you? No problem. Uh, you can reach me at haynesfeeb.gmail.com. I mean, at gmail.com. S H A Y N E S P H E O B at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me at 816 552 6940. And thank you for, you for being here with me today, Phoebe Hayes, Haynes, uh, Mikhail Shabazz, and Miss Terry, even though y'all didn't, <laughs> didn't have much, a lot to say. But thank you for being here. And to the caller that called in, George, we appreciate you and continue to reach out to us. Have a good day, everyone. the 420 Drug War News. This is the Drug Truth Network Editorial. 
Joe Biden should join the dozens of world leaders who embrace the end of drug war, whose Global Commission released a report last month calling for legalizing drugs, featuring prestigious world leaders such as Ruth Dreyfus, the former president of Switzerland, Louise Arbor, former High Commissioner on Human Rights, a man who knows full well the need to defund the cartels, Juan Manuel Santos, the former president of Colombia, Helen Clark, former Prime Minister of New Zealand, and Anand Grover, the UN Special Rapporteur on Right to Health. Ending prohibition immediately takes away massive profits of criminals, as well as changing the drug war mentality of cops, their racist attitudes, their SWAT teams, their no-knock raids, their rush to judgment and to firepower or brutality. We must do away with the pell-mell drug war mindset, now part and parcel of our current law enforcement system, which affects all our lives. It is obvious, glaring, that the drug war has no benefit, no moral standing at all. Until we stop our insane belief in drug prohibition, we will never actually control the supposed controlled substances. Criminals will continue to make their half trillion dollars per year and use half that amount to corrupt our law enforcement, border guards, politicians, and the media to ensure their trade lasts forever. Tens of thousands of our children will die needlessly every year. Jails will remain stuffed. Joe and Jolene Citizen will remain hunkered down, trapped by the orthodoxy of this quasi-religion of drug war, afraid to speak about the obvious for fear of being ostracized. Racist perspectives on drugs will continue to be the main focus of law enforcement, and the madness and mayhem of it all will be used as justification for doing more of the same forever and ever. The racism and evil of the drug war is playing out sky-high on a daily basis all around our nation, and yet so few dare to look, speak, or act to expose and end this stupid and evil policy. No matter how many lefties and liberals proclaim themselves bigotry-free, they must realize racism lives large inside the belief in drug war. So few people care not even within communities of color. I am Dean at DrugTruth.net. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff, 
or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org.